discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. Howdy, folks. David Lawrenson is the founder and owner of LettingFocus.com, a UK-based property consultancy that claims to, quote, help a range of organizations, from banks to local authorities, develop or improve their buy-to-let and landlord-facing products and services. We also help them develop their strategy towards the private rented sector, end quote. David is also the author of Britain's highest-selling property and buy-to-let book, as well as a landlord, a buy-to-let expert and media commentator, consultant on private rent matters, and landlord blogger. Indeed, if you go to the website, lettingfocus.com, there you will find Mr. Lawrenson's blog, chock full of posts with titles like Getting to Yes with Prospective Tenants, and Don't Buy Wasted Space That Tenants Don't Really Want, as well as Cutting the Admin Burden of Utility Contacts. Of course, you're probably wondering, especially if you're not a UK-based citizen who is in a position to benefit from the advice of a property and landlord expert, exactly what any of this has to do with you and or me. Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, on David Lawrenson's blog, sandwiched between a post titled Energy Performance Certificates of C for Let Properties by 2025 and another titled Recovering Monies Owed by a Tenant is a post that sticks out like a sore thumb. The headline? Quote, The COVID lies and who is behind them and what they want. End quote. And it is because of that specific blog post right there, dear listener, that I felt it was my duty to introduce you to Mr. Lawrenson. And by now, you have probably surmised he is indeed my special guest for this evening's edition of Open Mic Night. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Hello. I hope everyone is well, or as well as one can be during one of the supposedly deadliest pandemics in human history, of course. The blog post I am about to share with you, as mentioned, is titled The COVID Lies and Who is Behind Them and What They Want, written, of course, by David Lawrenson, who has graciously, at the end of this blog post, included a link to a shared document online that, of 
according to David, quote, contains more links to articles on the real science, the truth about masks, lockdowns, vaccines, and more, from real medical experts and other scientists. I implore you to open it, read it, and do your research before life changes irrevocably and irreversibly, and before it's banned for good. And I, of course, Adam Clark, aka Ruckus, highly encourage you to do the same. Now, without further ado, I present to you a only mildly edited presentation of The COVID Lies and Who is Behind Them and What They Want, published July 7, 2021, on LettingFocus.com. I have been convinced for some time that the whole lockdown and vaccine drive is actually not really about public health, if it ever was. After all, this is a disease 99.85% survive. It is now my view that there is probably something more sinister going on. I say this because, despite the censorship happening in the UK under the powers in the Coronavirus Emergency Powers Act, which has led to censoring of respected scientists and a staggering propaganda effort, one can still fairly easily find lots of serious scientific articles which cast doubt on what we are seeing happening. Indeed, a great deal that has been sold to the public as quote-unquote facts are not facts, but are very much in dispute. To call them facts is in fact a lie. I will look at these dodgy quote-unquote facts later in detail in this piece, but these dodgy non-facts can be headlined as follows. There are 16 of them. First non-fact that the government and SAGE are being honest. Second non-fact, that the virus is novel, so there is no immunity to it. Third non-fact, that the virus is very much more lethal than anything else we've encountered. Fourth non-fact, that there are no treatments. Fifth non-fact, that long COVID quote-unquote is a thing. Sixth non-fact, that the PCR is a reliable test of clinically important infection. Seventh non-fact, that the virus can be spread by infected people without symptoms. Eighth non-fact, that widespread test, track, and trace is effective. Ninth non-fact, that masks protect against transmission. Tenth non-fact, that lockdowns slow transmission through the community. Eleventh non-fact, that variants formed during virus replication are more dangerous and some will escape immunity. Twelfth non-fact, that it's uncertain if you can be infected twice. Thirteenth non-fact, that the vaccines are safe and effective. Fourteenth non-fact, that if you have had COVID already, you should still get the COVID quote-unquote vaccine. Fifteenth non-fact, that people who are unvaccinated can somehow drive the spread of new variants. Sixteenth non-fact, that it is okay to bully those who don't wish to take the quote-unquote vaccine and to put them in some sort of apartheid with limited rights to travel, work, or go to school, even deny them access to health care. Later, we will look in more detail at each of these 16 non-facts, or as I would prefer to call them, lies. But first, some background. To many people who read only the mainstream media, reading that many things stated as facts are in fact lies may come out as something of a shock. Indeed, when many people see these described as lies, they may be tempted to dismiss them out of hand and stop 
reading. They often ask, why would the government lie to me? Surely they would have my best interest and welfare at heart, as well as that of the welfare of all people, both here in the UK and in all countries. That view is certainly the view that I took up until March 2020. I am a reasonably successful business person with my own business, an expert in my private rented sector niche, a good level of education with a degree in business and an MBA, and a past career that took in middle management project and consultancy roles at big organizations. I am the classic person who believed in the system, that yes, the capitalist system has its faults, but that broadly, and if controlled with a healthy dose of social democracy, that scientists, the media, and government are generally benign and not out to hurt their citizens. That all changed for me in March 2020, when I realized that this was maybe no longer the case. Something was not quite right. I was finding the mainstream news was suddenly not reporting the news objectively and fairly, nor asking questions of government. So I turned most of it off and started digging around and doing my own research into quote-unquote the science and the media. Accepting that you have been lied to is something that is difficult to come to terms with for most people. So if this is new to you, I do ask you to bear with me. It has been hard for me to come to terms with too, but it is what is probably behind this that is even scarier. Since March 2020, here in the UK and around the world, people have been subjected to a truly horrendous level of psychological control techniques, misinformation, and outright lies to gain their compliance with a whole gamut of horrors, lockdowns, face coverings, and now quote-unquote vaccines, a good book that has recently come out which describes the psychological methods used is called A State of Fear by Laura Dodsworth, despite efforts by the mainstream media to denigrate it. The book has been a huge success, currently ranked in the top 50 books at Amazon. I recommend you get it. Over the last 40 years, in a gradual process, most of the mainstream media, big technology firms, all big pharmaceutical firms, and most leading scientific institutions and major universities concerned with virology, immunology, and epidemiology seem to have been taken over in part or in full, becoming controlled by a technocratic elite who sit above national governments. In some cases, they are bought for cash or given access to and influence at the top tables of national governments and supranational bodies like the World Economic Forum and World Health Organization. In other cases, such as university science departments, they are effectively bought by funding grants. We are now at the end point of this gradual process of technocratic control. Key players involved in this, helping at an operational and or financial level, include the likes of Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, and Tony Blair, as well as global organizations such as the World Economic Forum, the Build Group and the Trilateral Commission. However, there are many other players and transnational bodies. Sitting above them are thought to be another group of which the Rothschild, Rockefeller, and J.P. Morgan dynasties are thought to be important players. Through their ownership of media companies and their control of public broadcasters, the latter achieved in the UK through a shadowy group 
called Common Purpose. These technocrats drive the narrative in the media worldwide. These people in groups have forced national governments to suppress and impose outright bans on other scientific thought and expertise, labeling independent-minded scientists who question lockdowns or the safety of COVID vaccines as quote-unquote dangerous and misinformed, no matter who they are or how senior and eminent their position. In the UK, all discussion and information about COVID is controlled and enforced by Ofcom. It has been this way since March 2020. So what do the people and organizations who are controlling this actually want? It may come as a shock to many people, but there is very strong evidence that their long-term goal is to control national governments, democracies, and individual freedoms and replace them with a global society in which every individual will be constantly controlled, monitored, and assessed. Technocratic experts appointed by a global elite will control the overall direction of society, with the narrative and policy being directed by the media they control. National governments will be subservient to them. Klaus Schwab, the octogenarian founder of the World Economic Forum, WEF, who holds regular meetings with key lieutenants in Davos, is very much near the center of this web. He is fond of saying about his brave new world, quote, you will own nothing, but you will be happy, end quote. It is not as if we have not been warned. Indeed, I would prefer to call it the stuff of conspiracy prophecy, because Mr. Schwab has kindly written it all down for anyone to read it if they can be bothered. Schwab's book, The Great Reset, and his WEF website explains in full the desired end goal where national government and free thought is replaced by the techno-elite who will make the key decisions. The idea, successful thus far, is that people will happily comply with this and go along with it because the narrative they hold has been pre-shaped by a compliant media. Under the fruition of their plans, you will need to have a mobile phone or other tracking device with you at all times whenever you leave your home. You will have to use it to get access to any building, access to which will be controlled by ubiquitous QR codes. A social credit system will be put in place. Access to places or to treats will be controlled under this system. As far as possible, you will work from home, with more and more work being undertaken by robots. This begs the question, if you, the ordinary people, don't own anything in the future, who does? Schwab's book, The Great Reset, is rather silent on this, but the recent huge investments of his friend Bill Gates into private aviation infrastructure and farming assets may give outsiders a clue. Some phrases you will hear from Mr. Schwab, Bill Gates, and all government and business leaders who are controlling this are Build Back Better, New Normal, and Stakeholder Capitalism, repeated on a a regular basis, like a dreadful new-speak mantra from George Orwell's 1984. The fallacy and lies of the quote-unquote pandemic has been used to achieve much of these goals already. Indeed, Schwab is fond of saying, quote, let's not let the pandemic go to waste, end quote. Indeed, the quote-unquote pandemic is the Trojan horse. It has actually been years in the planning, and has been used as an excuse to achieve this takeover and control. None of this could be achieved without a level of psychological operations and brainwashing that Goebbels and the Nazis or the Communists could only dream of. Of course, the poor Nazis and the Communists did not have the benefit of the many insights about psychology gained from the internet age, nor the sheer weight of money to spend on a relentless and huge marketing campaign about COVID, which has been used to bamboozle the public 
into fear, and then submission and compliance. So, already we are seeing access to travel, pubs, restaurants, theaters, sporting events, and much more become limited under a kind of ghastly health apartheid to those who can show an electronic pass evidencing that they have agreed to be injected with a new experimental biological agent. This, despite these agents still being in an experimental test phase, which will not be completed until late in 2023. Other countries have gone even further already, withholding school places, jobs, and even healthcare from those who refuse to be vaccinated. Matt Hancock has already floated the idea of withholding healthcare from unvaccinated people in the House of Commons. The infrastructure to complete this phase is still being rolled out, with 5G being a key part of this too, to manage the data collected. But QR codes for entry are now an increasingly common sight everywhere, and will become more so in the future. Are all of our MPs a part of this takeover? No, most will not be. But what happens is outside of their control, and is driven by a media and a scientific body that is not controlled by them either. Let's turn then to look at the so-called COVID vaccines, the aforementioned Trojan horse in all this. The term vaccine in this context is possibly misleading. Most act more as biological agents than traditional vaccines. As a result of the censorship and propaganda, when people present for the COVID experimental biological agent to be put in their body, the vast majority have absolutely no idea that the worldwide survival rate with COVID is 99.85% or that the average age of death with COVID is 82 in the UK. This age at death with COVID is slightly higher than the average age of death overall. Nor do they know that 95 to 99% of people who die with COVID have at least one serious underlying health condition. This means there is a huge amount of mislabeled causes of death and conflation with other more serious illness. This is the with COVID or of COVID debate. People are also scandalously not told that this so-called vaccine is still in a test phase and has been approved for emergency use only, this being deemed an emergency because the people controlling it say it is so. The people who say it is an emergency are the World Health Organization, WHO, whose second biggest funder is not a national government. It is one Mr. Bill Gates. Gates also has huge investments in media organizations, big pharma, pharma, land and private aviation, and is a principal donor of important scientific institutions, such as Imperial College, whose manic modeler, Neil Ferguson, doles out a regular stream of plainly wrong models for both animals or human populations alike, which always argue for more lockdowns more vaccines. The people queuing for the quote-unquote vaccines are not verbally told how to report any adverse effects to their health on the green card form they are given. As a result, the health impacts caused by the quote-unquote vaccines will be wildly underreported. Further, they are also not told that the vaccine makers have been given full indemnity against damages to health caused by these products. The makers have no liability at all. People are not told that any claim they could make to our own government if their health is damaged by the COVID vaccines is limited to just 120,000 pounds. These factors, this lack of informed consent, makes it my view that each and every person involved in these quote-unquote vaccinations, their promotion, 
distribution, administration, and operational delivery is responsible for serious violations on other human beings. Before I turn to the main COVID lies, I sometimes wonder why people who are highly educated, and many of whom will have read the history of the 20th century, have fallen for the same, albeit far more advanced, propaganda that Stalin and Goebbels used in a different time and place. I personally know many people like this. I think it is because many people simply do not realize they are living under censorship, possibly because they were not paying attention when the relevant act of parliament was passed. And those doing the censoring are obviously usually not in the habit of making public service announcements about that very censorship. So, let's look at what the main lies about COVID are. Number one, that the government and SAGE are being honest. This is not true, as I have explained. They are certainly being controlled from above, and the mostly controlled mainstream media is driving the narrative and ignoring and banning respected scientists, especially people from the field of medicine. The same is happening in social media. SAGE is heavily populated with modelers, psychologists, and mathematicians. Number two, that the virus is novel, so there is no immunity to it. This is simply not true. Exposure to other coronaviruses, and especially to SARS-CoV-1, provide a strong immunity. As well as antibodies that can be detected, many people will have also T and B cell immunity already. Number three, that the virus is very much more lethal than anything else we've encountered. COVID is not pleasant for many people, but it is not lethal. As explained already, the survival rate for someone who gets COVID is 99.85% worldwide. In the UK, the survival rate is 99.7% slightly lower here because we have a more obese and older population. But clearly, it is still very high indeed. Now, I am not saying that the vaccine should not be given to the very old and to people who have serious underlying health conditions. They are at a higher risk, after all, and they should make up their own mind if they want the quote-unquote vaccine, but only after being given accurate and honest information on it, so they can give informed consent. This means they must be informed of the actual risks of COVID to them, in particular their personal chances of being hospitalized by it or being killed by it, based on the statistical evidence we now have. Number four, that there are no treatments. Again, not true. There are three treatments that have been cheap and effective and have been used a very long time in medicine to treat other ailments. They are, in order of apparent effectiveness, ivermectin, dexamethasone, and hydroxychloroquine. Vitamin D also seems to be a useful preventative, so so getting exposure to the great outside is good, certainly not cowering away indoors, as the government previously was trying to get people to do. The success of these treatments, either to prevent someone getting COVID or getting ill if they get it, has been ignored in a most scandalous way by the WHO and the people who are set to make money from the quote-unquote vaccine, the big pharma companies. Losing weight is also a good way to avoid a bad outcome with COVID, as it is a big risk factor. Again, there is a strange silence on this, which is odd because a rational person would have thought this to be an excellent once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to drive home the healthy eating slash more exercise message. Again, and oddly, very little on this from the UK government. 
Number five, that long COVID quote-unquote is a thing. I have yet to see any decent statistical evidence showing that long COVID is a thing, as modern vernacular would put it. It seems to me that a whole variety of other conditions have been grouped together and conveniently assigned to be quote-unquote as a result of long COVID, including post-viral fatigue that is common to many virus infections. Supposed long COVID is used by COVID vaccines zealots to make a desperate case for being jabbed to those few people who have bothered to find out that the actual death rate for COVID is tiny. As a personal example, five years ago I developed a slight asthma condition. This at the tender age of 54. Now, I have to take an inhaler most days, and probably for the rest of my life. I did not even realize this is a thing, and adults in middle age who have never had asthma before, and who were fairly fit, could even develop it. But it is real. It even has a name. Adult onset asthma, and one of the major causes is apparently the common cold. But we do not obsessively record all of these and similar events following common colds and call them long cold. We also now have a huge amount of mental illness, all caused by the terrifying psychological scare tactics unleashed on people by their own government. Much of this spills over into physical ill health and can also be characterized as long COVID. Number six, that the PCR is a reliable test of clinically important infection. This is just not true and is another very important lie. The founder of the PCR test, the now-deceased Kerry Mullis, who got the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for his pioneering work discovering this test, said categorically that the PCR test should not be used to evaluate disease, mainly because high levels of cycles make the so-called cases found meaningless, because the quote-unquote test would yield a high amount of false positives, especially at high levels of amplification, number of cycles, and the test on its own is unable to determine live or dead viruses. He was adamant that in no way should the PCR test be used to quote quote, diagnose cases. Only a repeated positive test, along with actual symptoms, should be used to make a diagnosis of COVID likely being present. Professor Mullis also had a very low opinion indeed of Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the United States vaccine and lockdown fanatic-in-chief. Number seven, that the virus can be spread by infected people without symptoms. People without symptoms, who are asymptomatic, can spread it a little bit, possibly possibly but hardly at all. The myth of widespread asymptomatic transmission is easily in the top three lies of all the lies put out about COVID. It informs the whole face-nappy-wearing nonsense and the pointless test, track, and trace system that are linked with the equally useless PCR tests. It is also behind the scandalous and wrong-headed desire to vaccinate the young, who are in the vast majority of cases asymptomatic. Number eight, test, track, and trace is effective. Because the PCR test is useless and asymptomatic transmission is very rare, as a corollary, the whole test, track, and trace system is also pointless and a colossal waste of money, which is thought to be equivalent to the entire NHS annual budget. What should happen to slow transmission are two things. First, better control of COVID in hospitals, and second, getting people who are actually ill to get tested and stay at home. If repeat 
tests show they have actually got COVID and for as long as they feel ill. There is abundant evidence that the spread outside hospitals is caused by people who are on low incomes and the self-employed still going out to work when they actually have COVID and are ill. So, to stop them doing this, restrict tests to them and make it more than financially worth their while staying at home until they are no longer ill and hence not infectious. Also, recompense their employer generously too. Number nine, that masks protect against transmission. There is zero clear evidence of the benefits of masks to the face nappy wearer or to others. They are simply being worn and used as a visible symbol of compliance to those who are controlling this. There is increasing evidence of the harms caused by increased CO2 inhalation as well as toxins in the mask for the wearer. And all this before we even consider the terrible damage being done to the environment by discarded muzzles. Number 10. That lockdowns slow transmission through the community. I am told by those still listening to the likes of BBC News that Mr. Neil Ferguson, the useless modeler and failed astrophysicist from Imperial, still pops up on their news programs with more of his dire predictions. It is worth noting that other mainstream news regulars, Susan Michi and Christina Pagel, are psychologists and mathematicians, respectively. None of these have any medical experience whatsoever. For a long time, lockdown COVID zealots have been doing contortions to find special circumstances to explain away the success of light-touch guidance and regulations in countries like Sweden and Finland, where excess deaths have been far lower than just about all the harsh lockdown countries in West, Central, and Eastern Europe. These zealots typically cite a whole range of factors like housing density, migrant levels, and more. Unfortunately for them, it has always been very easy to find another heavily locked down country in Europe that matches up on the same background factors to Sweden and Finland, but which fared much worse on excess deaths. This usually leads the zealots to resort to the vague and hard to argue with culture argument to try to explain the variance. Similarly, across the pond, the American states that did not lock down at all, like the Dakotas, are explained away by being too rural and hence don't count, never mind the fact that they did much the same in terms of excess deaths as the rural but locked down states. However, now that big and more urban and also demographically older states like Florida and Texas have stood up to Dr. Fauci and dropped mask mandates and lockdowns for over nine months and yet still fare better than most lockdown states on excess deaths. The zealots have a problem they cannot explain away by reference to any metric and even culture since culture is fairly uniform across the USA. So if you still watch BBC for news, you ought to find it odd that the BBC will still give time to Mr. Mr. Ferguson and his latest models to explain whatever wave we are now in and what will happen next, yet continue to ignore actual real-world data from the likes of Florida and Texas, which prove that lockdowns don't work. The only thing that makes a difference is people's behavior, which changes naturally in the event of a threat, and for which no forced direction from government makes one iota of difference. Non-locked 
lockdown states in the USA, and also Sweden and Finland, have come out with lower or the same excess death rates than other countries in Europe or other US states respectively. And their economies are in far better state too, which will yield health gains too over time, high income being correlated with better health. Finally, in the UK, looking at each time the country locked down, so-called cases had already started to fall even before the lockdowns were announced, as people adjusted their behavior naturally. The madness of this is that there was always an alternative to lockdown and extreme social distancing, or shelter-in-place orders. It was called the 2011 Pandemic Preparedness Plan, but this was oddly ditched by Boris Johnson in March 2020, with no explanation given. This approach was taken up and updated as the Focused Protection Plan, which was put forward by an enlightened group of public health experts called the Great Barrington Declaration, GBD. It was this approach that was eventually followed by U.S. states like Florida and Texas with great success. In fact, lockdown was really the let-it-rip strategy, one-size-fits-all, whilst the GBD approach was a targeted let-it-rip amongst the young and healthy, as we've done throughout recorded history in order to build up herd immunity whilst at the same time protecting the old and vulnerable. It was instructive that Neil Ferguson of Imperial College infamously commented, quote, and then Italy did it. This is clear evidence that he and his controllers wanted a means to get their own way to respond and to divert government to abandon their 2011 pandemic preparedness plan. Number 11. The variants formed during virus replication are more dangerous and some will escape immunity. Despite scare claims made for subsequent variants, none has been found to actually be more deadly. More transmissible, yes, possibly. More deadly, no. In fact, so far, always less deadly. This is the normal state of affairs most of the time when viruses evolve. And yet, the mainstream media has tried to cover up the fact that they are less deadly until such time that it was glaringly obvious this was the case. Even now, little awareness exists of this fact. Such is the stranglehold on the mainstream media of those controlling this. Number 12. That it's uncertain if you can be infected twice. It would be unusual if you could be infected twice in a short period by a virus or a mutation of that same virus. Most viruses give protection for a very long time. People who were children in the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic were still found to have immunity in their 90s. Compare natural immunity to vaccine performance. Already in heavily vaccinated countries, we are seeing that the vaccines are less effective against new variants. Natural immunity from any past infection would normally be expected to try the performance of any vaccine, and the evidence so far is that it is doing so again. Number 13. That the vaccines are safe and effective. For half a century, scientists tried and could not create a vaccine against the common cold, also a coronavirus. Yet in under a year, they have supposedly developed a quote-unquote safe and effective COVID vaccine. But yet, despite their stated confidence, they all refuse to accept any financial liability for harms caused by it. The COVID quote-unquote vaccine uses new experimental biological agents, an approach which is very different 
different to traditional vaccines, and it is still in the test phase, which will run to 2023. It is unlikely that the new quote-unquote vaccines will be more effective than our evolving immune system. The UK yellow card and US's VAERS reporting systems for side effects are in place. In the US, the side effects and deaths for the COVID vaccines are greater than for all previous 70 vaccines invented already. Number 14, that if you have had COVID already, you should still get the COVID quote-unquote vaccine. This is utter nonsense. As of today, it is thought about 5 million British people have definitely had COVID. Many more will have had COVID, not even know it, and will have immunity. Others will have a level of immunity from other coronaviruses. This immunity will likely last a long time. They do not need a vaccine, no matter what age they are. Yet, this does not concern the pro-vaccine, pro-technocratic control lobby, who are pushing for all to be vaccinated, even if they are already immune. But as this is actually not about public health anymore, and never was, and is actually more about a technocratic control agenda, this is to be expected. Number 15, that people who are unvaccinated can somehow drive the spread of new variants. There is absolutely no evidence to support this from virology. Indeed, as vaccinated people can spread it too, this would seem unlikely. The small group of medics supporting this nonsense are all from institutions supported by Bill Gates and others, who, as we have seen, are heavily invested in the technocratic control agenda and in quote-unquote vaccines. The Trojan horse used to drive this through. Number 16, that it is okay to bully those who don't wish to take the quote-unquote vaccine and to put them in some sort of apartheid with limited rights to travel, work, or to go to school, even deny them access to healthcare. Regarding the legitimate right to refuse to take an experimental biological agent in one's arm, I ask totalitarian folks who think this is okay to replace the words vaccine refusenik or lockdown denier with the words Jew, homosexual, gypsy, Tutsi cockroach, or Bosnian Muslim, and then reread the sentence and have a good look at themselves. The Nazis, back in the 1930s, introduced a pass that was ostensibly a health pass. Only quote-unquote healthy Aryans could have it. Unhealthy people could not get it. Nor, of course, could Roma, Slavs, Jews, homosexuals, Jehovah's Witnesses, etc., who were all deemed to be quote-unquote unhealthy. The pass, called the Ahenian Pass, allowed those good, healthy German citizens to be able to exercise their rights to go to school, work, travel, go to bars and restaurants, etc. Ending this piece on Nazi Germany is appropriate, because I would like to think that one day there will be a Nuremberg II, and the people behind this attempt to take away our rights and impose a controlled technocratic society, and who may be responsible for the deaths of millions, will face serious penalties. <laughs> For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Friday, August 6, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.